Hi, Thematics. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in today. We have a very amazing guest, one of my favorite producers and directors, Carl Buell. Carl is an Emmy Award winning and three time Emmy nominated executive producer. He is known for Undercover Billionaire, Comeback City, Homemade Simple, and Paradise Hotel. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. And Carl, um, we record live by the wonderful Wi-Fi during COVID. And where are you recording live from today? I am literally from the uh, from my office that I just moved into about a week and a half ago in Austin, Texas. Uh, moved here from L.A. after being in L.A. for about 30 years, I think. Oh, wow. And and you moved right during the, the snowstorm in Texas, right? Yeah, literally a day and a half before it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, you didn't even have, like, water or plumbing or anything, so you had a little rough moving to Texas, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was staying at a hotel for because I was coming here 10 days early before I could get into the, my new place uh, for meetings and things. And uh, so I was staying at a hotel up the street. And thankfully, we had power the entire time, but I spent four and a half days there without water. So oh. that was challenging. Oh, wow. Well, I hope Texas welcomes you warmly now and that we're just, you know, hoping all our Texas fans and fans around the world have water and power and stay warm during during the winter, even though California and Florida, we're pretty, you know, in shorts. Right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I want to ask you, um, growing up, did you have a favorite film that you loved as a kid? Yes, I think the, the first real, you know, solid film memory um, was the original Star Wars. Um, oh, yeah. The original Star Wars film that I remember seeing, I can't even remember, I think it was probably 11 or 12 at the time. And um, it just had such a, uh, an impact uh, for me because what a fantastic film at the time, you know? So that's, that's absolutely my number one favorite. Yeah, I remember, yes, yeah, Star Wars. There was lines around the blocks, lines about oh. people camping out there waiting. And uh, I had a, a dad from the military. He's like, nope, you got to wait till like there's no line. <laughs> 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 so um, so I want to ask you, too, because you're an extraordinary producer and director and with a fabulous career. I want, want to ask you, do you have a favorite like, you know, if you can share one of um, one of your favorite Criterion movies that you love? Um, probably I would have to say um, the. Seven Samurai was absolutely, uh, you know, I remember seeing that also um, when I was, I was fascinated as a kid with, with um, the Far East and Samurai and Ninja and I read books and also I was really attracted to Japan. And um, so, of course, that would be, you know, when a, upon seeing that film, you know, having an opportunity to actually sit and watch and just being fascinated by, by those films. They're awesome. Yeah. Did you did you have any brothers or sisters? Did you play like um, ninjas or samurais? <laughs> oh, yeah, I had I had brothers. I had two sisters and a brother, um, but but they weren't necessarily playing ninja and samurai. But I did have some close friends that that uh, lived around the corner from me that we would all the time. And, and I remember we were always trying to figure out ways to save up money to to. Uh, you know, we'd buy the magazines where you could get throwing stars or or like the kung fu shoes and all that kind of stuff, trying to trying to get 
any kind of thing like that because it would make it cool in the neighborhood for sure. <laughs> yes, amazing. So um, speaking of, so um, do you have a favorite uh, director and a director film that you just love? Yeah, I, I, for sure my, my all-time favorite would be I mean, there's a lot of favorites, but I think in particular Steven Spielberg is a uh, uh, is amazing. Um, I, I I appreciate. I remember I, I saw him speak um, a number of years ago before I left Florida to come to LA, and um, uh, I not only did I appreciate his films, but I appreciate the way that he treats crews and the way that he tr kind of levels the playing field. That while yes, there are decision makers. Um, he told a story about how he would get everybody in a circle um, at the start of a of a film, and including caterers, you know, PAs, and everybody, and you have a tennis ball, and he would he would play this game where you had to bounce the tennis ball to somebody across the way, but you had to say their name first, including all the stars and everybody. So they would bounce this ball around the circle, and he would do it until you could remember everybody's name because the idea was that it takes this entire group of people to to do a film and it's not just one person um and we should all respect and uh, know each other's names i just thought that was a great a great thing wow that that is so beautiful and i mean like that's extraordinary and you can see why he's one of um everyone's favorite director and little did we know that how respectful he is to every single member on the team, which I agree, that's so important, you know, to be nice to everyone. But whoever's crunching and munching right next to the mic as an independent person, you're like, back off! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but an uh, independent filmmaker right here. So <laughs> I love you, but do not make noise next to the mic. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> space go to a closed trailer somewhere eat your heart out mm -hmm. <laughs> it always happens when you make a film <laughs> as an indie person but um so that's yeah, a beautiful exactly. story i've never heard that one the tennis ball i love that and is there a favorite um scene that you like by a director that you want to share with us yeah in spielberg's speaking of because it was such a um a surreal but realistic shot was would be the the opening shots in um in schindler's list um you know when they're when they're um coming on to um uh i'm sorry was it schindler's list or, or what is no it's not schindler is it schindler's list the one that i'm thinking of where they're coming to storm the beach um or no it's we're talking about um saving oh God, ryan ryan saving private ryan was it the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, where there, where all of a sudden you've got the ships coming up, and and um, uh, and all of a sudden all the gunfire starts happening, and the people are cl uh, are clamoring off the ships. I think it was. It it couldn't have been Schindler's List. Oh my God! Why am I drawing a blank now? Hold on a second. <laughs> We're gonna, Here, I'm gonna actually. I'm actually gonna look it up. Yeah. Because I I know that I thought Schindler's List, but that's not the. That's not the film, so hold on a second. So um, I'm dyslexic, so I do things like that all the time. Even though the Schindler lifts the bathtub scene, even though um, oh, their yeah. book reading oh really beautiful, uh, but like yeah, but also um, I, I'm assuming because it's ships and war, it could be saving 
uh, Ryan, uh, Private Ryan, and um, they also did the spoof of that. So I, I say the I say it backwards too, saving. <laughs> it, yeah, I think it was saving Private Ryan. As a matter of fact, um, yes, it was saving Private Ryan. Um, that's the one I'm thinking of because the the <laughs> I remember going to see it with my with a friend of mine who gets motion sick. And we were in this theater, you know, in the, uh, right in the middle of the theater and in the, the action, the way the, the camera was moving because he did nothing to, you know, everything needed to be handheld and feel like you were right in the moment. And um, uh, that entire scene was just so realistic and so horrific, uh, you know, in a number of ways. So, um, you know, pardon me for, for mistaking it. Because I remember I watched, I couldn't, wa I couldn't go to the theater to watch Schindler's List because I knew I would be a basket case. And so I watched it at home. So that I remember watching at home, but Saving Private Ryan is the one that I'm thinking of with the, with the scene when they're, when they're pulling up to the beach, just wow, what an incredible scene. You were like in it from the word go. Yeah, and it's amazing that um, the storytellers and the directors that are like, someone explained it to me. It's like the captain that drives the ship or the bus and um, someone to have extraordinary vision and able to implement it. It's just so beautiful to see those films like that. And I hope that theater comes back because there's some films that are just meant for you to see in that theater um, with a group of people that you just enjoy that journey with. And there's nothing like streaming at home. You're like eating popcorn. You're on the phone. You're texting. You're probably making a little TikTok video or <laughs> like attention span, like ADHD people. So you, you really have the full gist of it to concentrate on that movie. And so speaking of, I want to ask you like, um, so uh, where did you, you know, how did you start your career path? Like, oh, are you, you said you were from Florida or? In yeah, yeah. I started when I was 16 years old in uh, AM radio. My uh, mass media teacher in high school, uh, after I, had, um, I was sort of the class clown and had uh, hidden her books in, and locked them away in a cabinet. Unbeknownst to me, she didn't have the key to the cabinet and the particular drawer that I locked it in. They were they had to have a maintenance guy from. Uh, from the janitorial staff come and undo it. And uh, so she's, after she took role and did everything, she came and sat down next to me and she said, you know, um, have you ever considered uh, a, a working in entertainment in any way? And I, you know, at the time I was like, I was a guitar player, yes, but I didn't even think about it. I was working in an unfinished furniture store at the time, staining furniture for people who would buy the furniture. And um, <laughs> and she said, you know, have you ever thought about entertainment? I was like, yeah, no, not really, whatever. Kind of blew her off. And then that summer, she picked up the phone and she called out of the blue during the summer break. And she said, um, hey, uh, do you want a job? Uh, there's a radio station that's in, down the street that's looking, and I several of the people that work there were my students. So I thought of you because they're looking for somebody to bring in. So I want you to go and meet. And I got the job, and um, ended up staying with that company uh, for uh, that AM station. Went to a, an FM classical music station. Started a traffic service with the owner of the company, uh, and was doing contract traffic reports for three different radio stations in Tampa. Um, and then I ended up being on television. I was on the air for two and a half years as a VJ um, and uh, learned 
sort of rudimentary editing and then learned more about editing um, all the while doing music. So, you know, TV and radio was my day job. Music was my nighttime thing as a guitar player. Um, and, uh, and then I, uh, let, got management that I met that, um, they were also the same people that managed the band journey. Wow. Journey. And they, yeah. And they brought me out to California. They were like, you know, you need to come West. You need to connect with this guy. So that's when I made the move and, and TV editing for television was my way of paying the bills. My real reason for being out in LA was, was music. Um, but now of course the, <laughs> my television career took off and uh, there's a whole story behind music that I'll say for another time. <laughs> oh, wow. So this nice teacher, this woman, this female, and it's Women's Day that we're recording um, March 8th, by the way. So this yeah. lovely um, female teacher of yours was so kind and generous with your prank that she didn't reprimand you. She didn't bully you. She didn't harass you, but she gently gave you love and gave you your start. And so whoever this woman is, congratulations. She gets an award for me and probably for oh, a lot yeah. of people on this very She was awesome. Day. I went back and spoke at her. She asked me to come back once I was working the radio station and, and um, even at the talk station. I was time I was 17 years old. I had my own show on uh, on Saturday mornings um, oh, that's on that radio station. Wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. she invited me back to come speak at classes. So I would just to sort of pay back. Um, she was awesome. Oh, and that's beautiful. So you so you came from Florida and then by the managers, the people of Journey, the music, oh my gosh, the most awesome music. And I'm, we're having so many people right now go, we miss rock and roll. We need rock and roll. Where's all our rock and rollers, right? Yeah. And like, I think there's like pop rock now. And then um, I go to my friend, what's the name of this? He goes, EDM, electronic dance music. I go, I like this. So you, so you transitioned to TV producing. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Because I'd love to hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I came, when I came out here, uh, or came out to LA, I got, um, I landed a job, um, editing for, uh, at the time it was prime ticket and prime ticket became, um, Fox sports, Fox sports, you know, bought them out, but I was cutting for prime ticket. And, um, there was a couple of people that worked at a, um, uh, that worked at a post facility outside of, uh, of the prime tip ticket building. And um, they knew of my music background and they also knew I was doing a lot of sports shows, which is funny because I'm so not a sports fan, but I was cutting a lot of sports shows. Um, and because of my music background, I had a real um, uh, propensity and efficiency or proficiency at cutting music. So I could take long pieces of music and cut lyrics out and, you know, loop back and do all kinds of things that would feel seamless. So it felt like it, you know, was edited to like to rhythm and a lot of things I hear nowadays where I just go, Oh my God, bad, bad, bad edit, you know? <laughs> um, but I was cutting music and they suggested, they were like, Hey, you really need to go to this company. That's um, that cuts a lot of MTV stuff. So I ended up moving to that post facility um, as a full-time editor. And um, again, still recording and, and writing music at night and doing this during the day to make money. And, um, and I was doing a bunch of MTV shows and then I started doing an NBC kids show called Name Your Adventure that had uh, Mario Lopez and Jordan Brady as the hosts. And I did a couple of the seasons cutting that 
And uh, that production company, um, at one point, around the same time that our, our band got a couple of recording offers, they said, hey, we really want you to come back next season and direct for us because you always have great, solid you know, ideas and direction and we'll sign your DGA ticket and endorse you to get into DGA and because you had to be a DGA member in order to be to, to direct the show. So um, they connected me with, uh, with the DGA ticket and I got into directing uh, and that just naturally led into producing. I started producing and directing for America's Most Wanted um, because I was producing and directing and cutting a lot of my own stories for Most Wanted. Wow, that's a uh, lot of work. A lot of work. Probably like what, yeah. 20, 20, almost 18 hours a day for that? It was a lot. It was, um, it, you know, what, what typically what would happen is you'd go out and we had to find the stories, pitch it to them. Then they would they would take the story and then you would go out and shoot it. They just, you know, fill in the budget. You'd go shoot it and direct it and then come back. And I would they would book edit time somewhere for me and I'd cut it and then send it away. And it would, you know, air in a week or two. Wow, wow. So it was really a crash course in a lot of ways. Going from local TV what I, that I started for in, in front of the camera, sort of a crash course in learning television <laughs> and, and how to do it, to then crashing into doing Most Wanted and sort of, you know, having to do it. Um, and then I, I just naturally started getting supervising producer offers and from directing. And then um, uh, I, when I was doing The Swan, we had just started on the second season of The Swan, and I got an offer to come be the co-EP and showrunner for um, Super Nanny for ABC. Oh, I uh, love the Super Nanny. Wow. Uh, That's a great show. Yeah, it was English, fun. Very English. Listen up, you little naughty boys and girls. Time out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. That Mommy, was fun. help us. Help us. And the little car comes in. That's a brilliant. I love that. The little car, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You are good. You are very, very spectacular. Like, and, and you have the, you, you know how to edit. That's like, I wish I could edit. I'm just starting to learn edit on CapCut. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you know, the thing is, is it is it, from, from a show running standpoint and just being a, an exec, whether, whether you have other people directing or, or producing or going out and shooting, I think having the skill in the, uh, of the edit bay translates so much of course into directing but producing too when a lot of the things that i do I'm, I'm on location and i'm usually directing my own stuff so you know when you have a scene or not you know and and you're if you have an editor's mind and you're thinking about how to cut together scenes uh you know when you've shot enough and then there's other times when you've you know people will come back with just you know um bucket loads of footage that eventually an editor, you're never going to have the time to go through it anyway, you know, so get what you need in for the scene and then know that it's going to come back and it's going to cut well, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I really believe like if you know how to edit and as a director, a writer, producer, you have the vision already. If you know what shots you need to cut and need, it's definitely um, helpful. So yeah, that's amazing. So you've been nom nominated for Emmy three times with some wins. Can you share anything with your, you know, your favorite um, projects that you worked on? Those, uh, well, two of the nominations, well, one win and one nomination were both for Homemade Simple, um, which was a, a, a show on, on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And um, 
the, the irony of that show is interesting is that it was a it was a time buy show. It was a you know Procter and Gamble owned that show, and it was an opportunity for them to to sort of highlight their product, you know, and and their stuff. Um, and it was originally a daytime show on TLC that was bumped over to own, and they wanted to revamp it. So um, the the guys at, at Scout Productions, well, it was Green Harbor. At the, at their name was Green Harbor at the time, but it was the same guys as Scout, um, the people who do Queer Eye, um, that you know, we got together to sort of really break it down and figure out the format and how to make it different. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just the primarily to me, good storytelling is always about great characters. And it was always about what made these people feel like they were deserving of, uh, the renovations that we would go in and do, or the, you know, the bringing, uh, redesign into their rooms and all this kind of stuff. And we would surprise them with it. And, and there would always be somebody that would nominate the person that was receiving the makeover, you know? So, um, uh, it started out the first season with, with Paige Davis. And I think that that in, in that particular show, the joy of doing that show was that everybody was so on board with helping these people out and really, um, um, highlighting the beauty of why they were so deserving. And that starts at the top. And for me, it was always about like recognizing that in those people and then highlighting it in the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and, and the host was um, like uh, the, the lovely Paige host, Davis. Paige Davis. Yeah. Paige was on the first season and then it went from uh, Paige to, um, uh, to Soleil okay. Moonfry okay. Uh, did it for a season. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. I really love that. And, uh, and then, um, so your Emmy win was for this one, right? Homemade, homemade. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It was yeah. The the win was for the um, was for the the second or the third season of Homemade Simple. I did the first season when it came back as an hour, and then the third season um, we cut it back to a half hour that they would air back to back. So we were shooting half hour episodes, so we could pack in more uh, more story and more opportunity for them to to have ad time um between the, the two half hours but it was um it moved better as a half hour it was easier to tell the stories and um and that was the one that we ended up winning for was the, the half hour version oh congratulations yeah and so so during covid so um how did it affect your art like you moved to texas right during the during yeah yeah well i was i, I just got to texas a matter of, of weeks ago and i did um um as far as as being able to to shoot you know uh, we all suffered the same production shutdown that everybody else did i was really lucky uh last year and that um in june i got a call from uh, my agent and, and saying uh you know so um you know i want you to to have a meeting with somebody about a show which was the undercover billionaire uh show and um and i had a meeting and and they ended up offering me the gig to to uh to be the co-EP in the field, uh, working with Glenn for the spinoff Comeback City, uh, and you know direct that and and uh, to run it in the field, and um, so we were really tip of the spear, one of the first productions that was not sort of shiny floor or stage based, that was going out in the real world um, to shoot in COVID times, you know, um, so it was really challenging uh, on a number of levels um 
ironically, after all the safeguards and everything like that, we were being tested once a week, um, sometimes twice a week, depending upon uh, the amount of exposure that we had. Um, but I, I got a positive test. Um, mm. And I was the only one that, that had the positive test. But then the interesting part was that <clears throat> it was positive and we're all sort of shocked, including me, because I was really um, uh, attentive to the protocols and everything that we needed to do. I mean, constantly walking around and squirting sanitizer in people's hands and all this stuff. And uh, uh, so I got I tested before it and then twice after it. And there was a negative test prior to, and then two negative tests afterwards, but I still had to quarantine because of the one positive test. So I, still to this day, I don't really know for sure. Did I have it and just didn't you know, ever show symptoms or so who knows, but overall it was, um, man, oh man, it's challenging yeah. uh, to shoot, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I know we've been talking about all your things. We have about, uh, we have about six minutes before our, the half hour is done, but um, would we be able to um, hear some of your, your music and would you be able to do a song for us live? On National Women's Day. <laughs> oh, I, well, uh, I could play something. I don't sing. I oh, simply yeah. play. But I, that would you'd have to give me some time to go grab my guitar and, and tune it up and, you know, and think of something to, to play. Oh, <laughs> OK. Yes. OK. So um, well, maybe we're going to do part two. But so 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 can you tell us like during COVID, like you, you got a positive test and then then it was negative. So maybe it's a false positive or maybe that was a faulty test thing. Because um, if, if in LA, I think almost every single person had it. Like they lost their taste, they lost their smell. And yeah. there's people that I um, come on the show or I've been talking to all around the world from Canada to Switzerland. They're like, I'm in my house, not going anywhere and wearing plastic gloves, plastic things. And they still caught it. So, but um, thank God, most of the people have said they recovered and several people had it really, really bad in London where they were actually in the hospital on ventilators. My oh. one actor friend, um, you know, was in a hospital a long time in London. He was healthy, and I guess when he went to London, somehow traveling, it, I was on Facebook, like, it looked, it did, didn't look good for him at all. Did not look good for him at all. And and then he calls me, like, um, two weeks ago, and he, he he made it. And I was just, like, so happy for him. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, great. Kenneth Dixon, yeah. yeah, knock on wood. Uh, lovely, lovely actor and singer. So, so you're, so you, so you take, so the move to Texas is because you're working on the undercover billionaire. No, no, I've, I've been wanting to get out of Los Angeles for several years. Um, just primarily because, you know, years back, I started realizing that, that I didn't necessarily have to be in LA to, to continue to work because most of the stuff, you know, pre-production I was doing most of the time from home. Occasionally I'd be in offices but then I'm out on location to shoot and then post is always done remotely as well or is happening concurrently. Um, and then I'm simply flying back and forth to wherever it is that I need to, if I'm dropping into an edit bay or something like that. So I started realizing like, why am I, why am I paying such exorbitant rents and, and cost of living to be in LA when there's so many other places in the, in the United States, they're gorgeous, you know, uh, to live in. Um, and might be just sort of a, 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 you know, and of course, you know, better quality of life because it got to the play. I was living the last several years on the West side between Mar the Marina del Rey and Venice. 
Um, and if you know anything about Marina del Rey in Venice nowadays, um, you know, it's just gotten sort of ridiculous with the, you know, with the homelessness and, and, um, and just, um, you know, it's, it's not it, it, like traffic is amazing. Just, uh, and what you're paying for, you know, I, I don't want to go and, and sort of dish on LA, you know, that, that badly, but it just became apparent to me that I was like, now's a good time to go ahead and, and go, you know? And, and so, a, um, yeah, a lot of people are moving since, uh, well, that's one of the beautiful things I think with COVID that people were able to work from home and they're able to move somewhere and live somewhere that they have a better quality of life. Cause it's basic, unless you're a multimillionaire in LA, I don't think that you can even buy a box anymore, you yeah. know? And, you know, and that I think people just have that quality of life. So that's something positive that came from COVID that people can work from home and to move somewhere and, and enjoy it. Yeah, because I would love some acres. I love some acres. You know, I love dogs and animals. But so, yeah, yeah so you so you moved to Texas. And um, so can you share with the audience a little bit like what's coming up for you and where they can keep up with? Uh, we have like a one minute, like where they can keep up with you. And um, yeah, well, you know, uh, Clubhouse, I'm on quite a bit, obviously. Um, Instagram, uh, Twitter, I you know typically keep up with what I'm doing uh, between those two platforms. You can find me. It's just uh, Carl Buell on Instagram. Um, and um, and Undercover Billionaire is airing now. Um, I'm going to be starting a new project. I can't really talk about what that project is yet um, in uh, uh, two weeks. And uh, that's going to be a 10-episode uh, series that I'm going to be doing. Um, I'm in the process of seven or eight different development projects um, that I'm really excited about. One of a, is a scripted project um, that's uh, looking really good. So, yeah, there's a lot of things on the horizon. Uh, well, we're going to thank you so much, Carl Buell, for coming on the show today. And we're going to invite Carl back to hear his music because he was in a band. So we're definitely going to um, nudge him for part two of Carl Buell. Thank you for listening, everyone. Stay healthy and uh, 